The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome to another episode of your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. This is a great show to learn about the law. And if you ever get in a situation where you need legal advice, let me recommend Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice that do this show. And this is how you get a hold of them, Bruce. Yeah, great to be here this morning. Uh, Bruce Hagan, H-A-G-E-N. Easy to find me online, website hagan-law.com. You can call me anytime, 404-522-7553. Email me, bruce at hagan-law.com. I handle personal injury claims, but certainly whatever somebody's needs are, we can point you in the right direction. If it's not something we can do personally, it's certainly something that we know the best people who can handle it and can put you in touch with them. But I have, I think, Bruce, you probably have the same thing from LinkedIn and other social media platforms. You can get what they call a dashboard. And it'll break down the demographics and locations mm-hmm. of where people are listening to you from and where. And every connecting, once in a blue moon, I'll from. get somebody in Nova Scotia or a hit from Bangladesh. But it's always interesting to see how wide. And Bruce and I, you brought it up last week. We have a, I have a law school classmate who you went to high school with who's a regular listener yeah, down listen in show, yeah. Palm Beach, Florida. I think he's in a mansion down there. He, yeah. he did very well. He very does smart all right. Guy. He does all right. 404-964-4185, rayjudicelaw.com. I'm now in Roswell, but I'll meet you anywhere you want for a cup of coffee and we can address the problem problem lately has been violence at the airport whether it's the the lady slapping people and spitting on people or the story of the new chief of staff for the mayor of atlanta and uh, the problem he had down at the airport with a warrant when he got there and wasn't too pleased that the uh, law enforcement folks are there to uh, see him off the plane People are acting out at the airport, whether it's alcohol involved or whether it's someone taking a gun to the the airport. I think they've recovered more guns at the Atlanta airport in this past year than they have in the history of the airport and other airports for that matter, too. What are what are y'all seeing from the legal point of view? Are you, are you having people call you up and say, here's what I did? Or is it more you're just seeing it and not necessarily involved with it? Well, I'm getting uh, an enormous amount of folks with guns at the airport. Good folks, regular people, traveling, short hop, business deal up in, you know, Charlotte. And they were at the range the day before, and they threw their totally legal permitted safety lock on it, 9-millimeter Glock in their, in their overnight bag, uh, and forgot to leave it at home or forgot to leave it in the safe at the, at the gun range. So I'm getting a bunch of those. And now those cases, they are... They can be felony charges, they can be misdemeanor charges, they can be federal charges. Generally how it's being handled is because the Atlanta airport is actually sits in Clayton County, a good portion of it, those cases go to the Clayton County Courthouse. You also get a really nasty letter from TSA that wants to impose a very significant civil penalty. And they give you a couple of options. You can pay about $3,000 right now. Goodness. You can pay $6,000 later, 
or you can come down to the federal courthouse and have yourself a trial. Mm. Uh, most of us opt, or my clients opt, for the quick, easy, cheap, yeah. <laughs> pay to three. Yeah. It's a civil remedy, meaning it's not a criminal history. You're not booked in. It's a punishment. It's a fine for saying you took up a bunch of our time. You slowed down the TSA line. We had to call Clayton County. Don't do it again. So people are making that mistake. Now, I have not yet had to represent any of these uh, TikTok warriors, as I like to call <laughs> right. them, uh, who, and, and again, I, I kind of believe that at least a portion of what we're seeing on the airplanes and in the airports are people who are really trying to become, you know, quote unquote, popular influencers, get as many media hits as they can get, social media hits. But the enormous amount of our folks that are just, you know, they're just on how to act. Yeah, <laughs> they don't know how to act anyway, right. And have no good, and have good raising, like I did up in Dalton, Georgia. That's, that's what my my parents would say. They weren't raised right. But but Bruce, I'm sure you've run into this. Yeah, and and you know, as it relates to the uh, mayor's chief of staff, the the person who's crowing the loudest about this is the head of the Buckhead secessionist that's movement, right. who's trying to do anything he can no, to discredit um, the new mayor. Um, sadly, in my opinion, is making this a very much a racial issue, um, that it's the white elites against the um, black government of city of Atlanta. Um, and if the limited information that's available out there is to be believed as far as what actually happened and what the underlying charges are, these are traffic offenses. Mm -hmm. the, the, these these warrants or supposedly whatever it is, the, the, this is, this goes back to things like driving without proof of insurance, driving without a license. Um, failure to maintain lane issues like that. You know, mm -hmm. if if that's what this is about, then it's really just much ado about nothing. But it's also this ego and hubris of the you know people who are like, how dare you come at me? Do you know who I am? And and you well, know, that's that, what he said there at the airport, or supposedly that, that said. That just doesn't work. Well, that's it, right. It never does. There's yeah. no way. There's one way you can make any situation worse. And it's by saying, do you, you know, know who, who I am? am? Yeah, right, and I, I think that's really what makes this a story. Uh, at any given time out there in radio land, somebody that's listening who's a good person may have a suspended license. They forgot to pay a ticket. Uh, the IRS may be sending them a nasty letter. There's all kinds of things that just all of us in day-to-day -day life forget, screw up, thought our wife or partner had taken care of it. The next step not only is how you make something into a, you know, a, as I used to say, a federal offense into a, into a real news story is, as Bruce just laid down the marker about, don't you know who I am and here's my, uh, my ID or here's my badge or, or I'm going to call your boss or whatever. But, but I want to segue that a little bit with the Buckhead Coalition. Uh, quite frankly, what all the Buckhead Coalition has to do is sit back and relax. <laughs> Because <laughs> this story is going to implode on itself. Uh, I believe it's going to unravel to become exactly what we're talking about is that the, the folks that live in Buckhead, and I still have a residence there, uh, would like to have some fair distribution of the tax dollars, of the employment dollars, of the sales tax dollars, of the hotels and restaurants. All that money, which my understanding, and if I'm wrong, I stand to be corrected, but what I've seen is Buckhead contributes approximately 40 to 45% of the tax revenue for the entire city right. of Atlanta. Right. Well, you know, maybe they should get at least that or close to that percentage of revenue back in the security. I mean, if you look at, go into Buckhead now. Go, go ahead, anybody. Take your, <laughs> yeah. take your chances, okay? Yeah. So I don't think it's a racial issue. I think it's exactly what this gentleman at the airport 
it's a hubris issue. Mm-hmm. It's about me. It was about the last mayor and, you know, and her needs and her cottage up in Cape Cod and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we need, and the people of Buckhead, I think, are saying, we just want to be treated fairly here. Uh, and this gentleman, again, has raised and elevated this story now into a, the 6 o'clock news story, front page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be. Bucket, it can, the Buckhead Coalition didn't do that to him. It's, it, no, it's, that's 100% true. The the Bucket Coalition, and Bill White in particular, are the ones who are taking tweets from very known racist Twitter pages and retweeting them and saying, yes, us too. Um, I'm talking about that VDARE um, Twitter page that, you know, is is on the registry of white supremacists and white supremacy groups and making it their own, which he then went and deleted the tweet because he was getting in hot water and realized we don't need to do this. Sure. There's The citizens of Buckhead are 100% right when it's like, we want to feel safe leaving the house. They're 100% wrong thinking leaving Atlanta is the way to do that. You're not going to build a wall around Buckhead and have South Atlanta pay for it. It just doesn't work that way. Well, but we're, getting, we're getting off track. Yeah. Well, there is a city of Atlanta that, or South Atlanta that right. formed, and those folks would be racially mostly African Americans who felt that they wanted to leave the city of Atlanta the city as of well. City of DeKalb, city that, of Decatur. That was an unincorporated area that was not part of city of Atlanta. I mean, they, they formed a separate city, but they didn't leave a well, city to form. They didn't form join that. the city of Atlanta either. They're, they're, but that's not even established yet, though, is it? The city, the 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 new the new Decatur. Or not Decatur. I'm sorry. The new Decab area. The, you know, the new city's coming soon is going to be about that, that part's 000. not. And that and yeah, that's right. partly because it's not happened yet. It's more a matter of if things continue to fall apart as people leave Decab County or these citizens. You know, these right. cities, uh, unincorporated areas of counties form separate cities, pulling money out of the county. The county has to do something if it's going to maintain any sort of viability. Once tax base falls apart, it, it you know is yeah, an old saying. You know, right. once that once you once you hit a fighter in the stomach enough times he can't defend himself and then you could pop him in the mouth and that's what's happening to to buckhead but the issue in the stomach so many times and the issue with with, you know that sense of entitlement that people have and seems to come out worst in air travel yes (laughs) of like you know the only person in the world who matters here is me right you you know and 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 we see that magnified so many times and yes the lady on the plane who's punching and spitting the old guy and the old guy himself you know is in there people act like nobody else in the world matters except me right if a flight gets canceled you know, I know there's 300 people on that flight, but the only one I sh- who should be at the front of the line getting immediately put on another flight is me. And, and, and that sort of attitude that we all yeah. have in some yeah. form or fashion um, gets exacerbated in, in times of stress, in times like we're dealing with now. A lot now, of stress. Having, Definitely having stress. Having to, to wear a mask. You know, again, everybody's yeah. wearing the mask. It's not just you. And yet, you know, one or two people every day, it seems, are freaking out over the fact that they're required to comply with Well, this. you and I see it in the courthouse. Uh, any given Monday morning, there's a calendar call from every judge in the courthouse, and the parking deck is packed, and the elevators are packed, and the courtrooms are full. And I tell my clients, "That's right, we might be last, uh, probably not, but that's what we're seeing. <laughs> yes. but 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 somebody in that courtroom is going to be that got there at ten to nine is going to be called at you know eleven forty seven or three fifty five, and that judge and his or her staff is grinding away. I know a lot of judges that work straight through lunch. You know, I'm like, doesn't she have to go to the bathroom? Because I have to go to the bathroom, yeah, right, you know. Right. And and so we, we do. We have no patience. 
You know, the Europeans for years, I always admired it when I went to Europe. They queue up so patiently. The British are great. They just get in line, wait for the train. The first 50 people go in. The next 50 people move up. Yeah. Not here, man. No, no. That's, Ray, Ray yeah. and I grew up in New York, and, yeah. and, and it's like if you see a line, that's an invitation to cut. To the front, right? <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. But, you know, it is it is um, sort of funny. And the one thing I tell people is when it comes to traffic court, because people want a lawyer in traffic court, and sometimes it makes sense to have one. Sometimes you don't actually need a lawyer in traffic court. But I will tell them, it's like the one thing I can promise you is that if you do have a lawyer with you, You'll get your case heard first. Right. I said, if nothing else, it'll get you out of there uh, before having and, to be and around. But the, the, the wise Whoa. judges will say, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get to everybody today. Please be patient. I'm going to take the lawyer's cases first because these lawyers have other clients and other courtrooms and other judges are waiting for them. So at least the, you know, Joe who comes down from Alpharetta downtown to fight his or her ticket says, okay, I don't agree with that, but I understand the judge yeah, gave me a it. reason why everybody's going first. And of course the real reason, and we may talk about it later is <laughs> that these judges run for reelection every four years. <laughs> and the last thing they want to do is have a bunch of angry lawyers who had to sit there for three hours uh, when the uh, four year reelection campaign comes up. There you go. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. When we come back, <clears throat> When we come back, a jury has found the Theranos founder, Elizabeth Holm, guilty on multiple charges in the criminal fraud trial. We talked about it earlier when it first launched. We'll talk about what it concludes with next. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. I want to get into this uh, Theranos case. The founder of Theranos was one time a billionaire named uh, Elizabeth Holmes. She was found guilty on multiple charges in a criminal fraud trial. So basically, she uh, defrauded a whole bunch of people of a whole lot of money and now is going to be punished for it. Yeah, and these were you know not just the run-of-the-mill Wall Street investors who have 
$3,000 in a 401k and putting money in. She, you know, these were some of the highest rollers out there. Warren Buffett, uh, Betsy DeVos. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, so th- there, were, there were some big names who were taken in by this that where she raised close to a billion dollars by making all these claims of, of the uh, incredible ability of this blood test to determine all types of diseases with just a couple of droplets of blood from the prick of a finger as opposed to having to get vials of blood and do the sort of traditional blood testing that we're used to. So it's going to revolutionize medicine and detection of diseases and then, of course, treatment and the ability to gather scientific information. And yet it was all just fluff and it was all based on smoke and mirrors and next to nothing that she sort of created this aura about herself and about the company and the product echoing sort of half-truths throughout the process of raising money along the lines of, unfortunately, what goes on in Silicon Valley constantly, which is this just pump up the Yeah, it seems to happen a lot, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, part of the defense was, this is just the Silicon Valley way of doing things, Mm. you know, and no one should believe this. Okay, well, Uh, she's facing 20 years. (laughs) Well, yeah, and and possibly more. More, more, Possibly more, yeah. Yeah, obviously that that aspect of the defense didn't work. But some of the things that are very interesting here, you know, this was close to a four-month trial, and, and we knew going into it that um, this was going to be a long one. But this was 15 weeks of trial, testimony, evidence being presented, arguments being made. Elizabeth Holmes herself was on the witness stand for seven days. The jury deliberated 50 hours before finally reaching a verdict, and it was not a verdict that convicted her on all charges. She was convicted of the fraud charges as it related to investors, but not as it related to uh, maybe, maybe consumers, maybe ultimate purchasers. The, the consumers, and she was acquitted. You know, there were hung, hung jury on three or four of the counts as well. Clearly, this jury struggled um, during the course of more than a full work week of deliberations. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at this. First of all, uh, every Ponzi scheme requires two things, a very charismatic, energetic, powerful, creative, attractive leader, the Ponzi, and a bunch of suckers who want to get rich quick. Okay, those are, those are the two yeah. essential elements to every Ponzi scheme. Uh, one thing that Madoff did was if he was coming to me to get my money, he would say, well, look, you know, I just met with Hagen. Hagen's on the fence. You know, he's, he's coming over. He's got a quarter of a million dollars he's going to invest with us. Well, when, when she said, Henry Kiss, I met with Henry Kissinger yesterday. I met with Larry Ellison of Oracle, the, the former the defense secretary, the Walton family, Walmart. former secretary of defense. Mathis is on our board of directors. Wait a second. You know, some t- weight. I saw her this morning on CNBC early. They replayed a interview that Kramer did with her about Jim Kramer, Jim Kramer yep. uh, from CNBC did about four years ago. Extremely impressive presence. She has a baritone voice, sort of a Lauren Bacall. She's kind of attractive, but not it, you look at her and you're like, Hey, how, where do I sign up? Well, yeah. she really went out of her way to craft this persona to be another Steve Jobs. And in every appearance, it was dressed black, in the black turtleneck, right. hair, you know, slicked back, very tight. But not too slick. To monotone talking just like right. this in a very odd What was that? What, was, Linda Fiorentino. Remember that, that actor? Was that? Fantastic. It's a great, yeah. she's in a great movie where she dupes some guy into like a quarter, three quarters of a million dollars. She's, but she's exactly that, that kind, kind of, of voice. That kind of voice. That's right. what it reminds but me of. But you're right. And when you, when you talk about the, the other party, who has to take the bait, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, these are not the uneducated, right? Yeah. These are sophisticated, uh, you know, titans of the industry who are getting taken and in and by just like anybody else. And a lot of investors fall into what they call the fear of being left out. 
You know, sure, why didn't I buy, you know, X stock on the way up? Because it, everybody else is clearly getting rich. Yeah. And it's amazing because it doesn't matter how much money they, these people have. They want more. They just want more. And, and it and, also looked as that bragging rights thing. I got in on the ground floor at Apple or I got, you know. and I when bought he, Bitcoin when it was $6. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right, right. Who doesn't right. want to say that? Exactly. And now I don't know how to unlock it. Did you all hear about that? And I don't mean yeah, to divert a, the, the guy, that the, the billionaire dude, right. I think it's in Italy. And he forgot his password, and he can't get back into his Bitcoin account, and it's worth like a billion dollars or a hundred million. I hope that story is true because it's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a great story. <laughs> I think it may be. Unfortunately, maybe he's in the UK, but regardless, yeah, I heard it. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. I'm sure he's not the only one. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt one. about it. Right. But but this lady, I mean, this is going to be one of those things where when sentencing comes down, what do you, what do y'all expect? Because it says in at least according to CNBC. That it could be uh, twenty years in prison, maybe more. Oh, I mean, she's going to prison. Yeah, well, right. But I mean, is it twenty years? Is it ten? Or is well, it a hundred? Federal court, financial crimes are sort of punished by the pound. Uh, in our local jurisdictions, sure, a big, big financial theft is more serious, but it's not mandatory gradation of more punishment. In federal court, it is. Mm. Once you start to get into the millions of dollars of fraud and theft. You're really looking at a lot of prison time. Uh, she will be given what's called a pre-sentence investigation while she's out on bail, on bond, post-conviction bond. It's going to come back. No criminal history, at least unless she's got an alias that we don't know about. I'm sure it would have been come out by now. Uh, that she's not a flight risk, that she's not, you know, we can put an ankle monitor on. Her defense counsel is going to ask for house arrest while we appeal. Now, as Bruce laid out, there may be some valid appeals here. When you have a deliberation of this length, a clearly split verdict, that is, I'm not going to say it's an inconsistent verdict, but it doesn't, it's not consistent. <laughs> Let's put it that <laughs> way. Okay. Yeah, right. Now, there may be a very good reason for that, but defense counsel is going to argue, judge, this had to be all or nothing at all. If the jury would find enough evidence to convict her of fraud to the investors is clearly enough because that's what the government argued, you know, and the government's sure. got to sort of live with that. Ray, to what extent will there be some negotiation between the defense and the prosecution where each of them tries to leverage whatever position they think they have right now? For example, the prosecution they could retry her on the counts that yes. were hung and go through a whole other trial just on those charges, and she could face more criminal charges. And, 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 and so, so they have some leverage there sure, in sure. terms of what they can do. And, of course, the defense can say, look, we're going to appeal this. We're going to win. You're going to be embarrassed. You're, you're, you know, the gold feather in your uh, crown here is going to disappear because you're going to end up losing this. Um, and we have these bases that we're going to go to the judge where we're going to say that her sentence should be uh, on the lowest end of the spectrum possible. So why don't we come up with something that we can agree on and go to the judge and say, hey, judge, everybody agrees that X number of years would be a fair sentence. First thing defense counsel is going to do is try to debrief as many of the jurors as possible. So let's say there were four or five counts that they found her not guilty on or could not convict her on. What I need to know is defense counsel, was there one lonely holdout in my client's favor? Or was it, you know, is it 11 to 1 or 1 to 11? Mm -hmm. I need to know that because that means whether I've got a pair of twos or, or three aces in my negotiations, as Bruce says. And the prosecution wants to know the same thing. 
uh, on retrials of of hung juries or non convictions. Uh, prosecution basically wins 90% of the time because they've seen the defense cards and how to try the case, and they've debriefed the jurors, and they generally only retry the 11-to-1s and the 10-to-2s, okay? Mm, the, the, the sure <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah, right. the, the sure things, because they've got a conviction. Right. So there is leverage on both sides, but you got to have you got another lay to land before you start to negotiate. Right, and there's no reason for the prosecution to want to retry no. this and, and bring they've the got they've got enough. Yeah, they've got enough, and, and right. they, they won, right? Right, um, but if the defense can say... It was one to convict and 11 to acquit on these four counts. We've talked to the jury, and they really kind of compromise on the ones you did get a conviction with, and we feel we have grounds for appeal. But I'll tell you what we'll do. She'll admit to pleading. She'll plead no contest to one count, 10 years straight probation, and she won't do financial investments for the rest of her life. Okay. You've got an obligation as defense counsel to have those conversations in privacy, because what you don't want is the media to say, oh, the defense counsel's trying to roll her over and plead guilty. Right, right, I mean, right. that you can't pick another fair jury after that. Right. right. No. That's interesting. Go, go, go ahead. Wait, wait, oh, no, no, it's it, and you, you know how a jury gets to a verdict like that is fascinating too. And and you know <laughs> one of the things that um, comes up, Ray and I have both tried so many cases, and and the things that race through your mind as a lawyer when a jury just stays out deliberating way beyond the length of time that you think they should be considering something, is it good for you? Is it bad for you? You know, right. uh, um, I, I would tend is to Is there think, a rule of thumb? Well, in my cases, you know, in, this, in the personal injury cases, uh, it's very easy to get to a defense verdict. If, right. they, if, if they come back 10 minutes later and they say, we've got a verdict, Uh-oh. it's like, yeah, this is not good. Um, but if they're spending time, then, then, you know, I think the more time they're spending, they're saying, all right, this person should get some money and it's going to take us some time to maybe argue and, and figure out and what it is, negotiate or or what that should be. Right. So I assume the longer it goes, the more favorable it is for me as the plaintiff in a personal injury case. And yet I've had plenty where there's been mm-hmm. lengthy deliberations. And they come back with a defense verdict. Like, How does that happen? Right. You right. know, um, so it, it does cut both ways. But one of the things is that if a jury comes back and, and they've been deliberating for a period of time and they say, judge, we're just deadlocked, we're stuck. Right, we can't get anywhere. A judge is not going to just take that and say, "Okay, go home. You're done. You're dead." Like you're, you know, that's the end of it. They give them what they, you know, we call a dynamite charge, also called an Allen charge, Allen which is based state, on right. on the case it came from, and it's essentially saying, "Go back in, start over." Um, hear what the other side has to say, consider the arguments that the other side is making, be open-minded. Don't give up your firmly held convictions, but at least consider um, what's there because ultimately we want you to reach a verdict and, and your job is to, is to try to reach a verdict. doesn't mean you fail if you're hung, but, but they do go back. And in this case, the judge did give the, an Allen charge probably more than once. Um, and, and ultimately that led to them finally making their decision that we, we have a, an agreement on these seven charges. These are the three we can't get it to. Well, you know, you also get into a situation, and, and Bruce is exactly right about what the Allen charge is. The judge says, you're the, you're the right jury. The, the lawyers agreed on you. You've been qualified. You've sat through all this evidence. Go on back there and, and you know, co- learn to compromise. Or give it a try. There's also an issue is how many times should the judge do that? And is the judge hotboxing the jury to bring in a verdict so they can all go golfing or go to their next case or, or whatever? Or somebody's not feeling well. I mean, they're all legitimate issues. Yeah, sure. uh, there's, there comes a point in time when enough is enough. You've heard the case. Uh, so, and that can be appealable. Now, that's the Court of Appeals and most jurisdictions say, well, that was in the judge's discretion. Mm-hmm. So you're usually not going to win that. But again, going back to those negotiations, if I'm a criminal defense lawyer, 
and you only, as a prosecutor, you got you only won four out of eleven counts. There were a bunch of ones that were in our favor, and I think the judge hot boxed that jury over fifty hours. Maybe we will try the case again. Well, yeah, know. and you've got a California Court of Appeals, so right. you know they may have a different sensibility. I think. Was well, this federal? Yeah. So eventually it's going to wind up in that, what, ultra-liberal Ninth Circuit that is being changed, by the way. Mm, right. <laughs> a lot of the old liberal judges under Carter and uh, and Clinton have retired, yeah. and uh, and a lot of Republican judges got appointed well, in, in well, that jurisdiction. Well, help me understand, in, in a case like this, how liberal versus conservative would play out. Sure. Because well, I, I don't think I understand. And it's really just, <laughs> it's an orientation more than anything else. It doesn't... It doesn't bind anybody to one side or another. No, Judges are neutral. Not. And in a business dispute like this, and in one involving allegations of consumer fraud and market fraud, um, you know, the, the the traditional notion of a conservative appointee going one way or another, it, 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 it could be completely backwards from what you might see in the criminal case or, uh, you know, involving a, a a violent crime, let's say, or in a uh, dispute over contract terms, you know. So, so they're, they're they're more lenient in business situations because they're understood to be more business friendly. Yeah, and you know, okay. look what what's what's good or bad for business here, right? And what's you know, the, the market sort of reacts to this kind of thing. And our other Silicon Valley uh, firms and investors and and um, charismatic personalities who are out there as entrepreneurs raising money are, are folks now made more nervous because they could potentially become the subject of investigation. If we go back to two legal terms, one is financial laissez-faire, which means the government hands off, let business do what it needs to do. And the other is mere puffery, old English law cases that said there's a certain amount of self-promotion, a positive spin on your product or the real estate. Yeah, it's a great piece of land. And as far as we know, there's no toxic waste. We've never, we've never had any kids with three eyes out here that we're aware of. So in Silicon Valley, and Bruce started with this early in the game, you know, again, I, I watch Bloomberg and CNBC religiously. I like these really smart people that come out. And, you know, it's that day before the IPO is about to come out. And you see these two smarty pants people and they're well-dressed and got great haircuts and they're on the floor of the NASDAQ. And tomorrow we're going to introduce, like two months ago, there was this company that had really high-end expensive salads, like green, sun, okay. green space or something, right? And these guys were all about wellness and reorientation to the earth. And, of course, the stock opened up way over. Over its listed price, and a week later, it's like twelve cents because it's a freaking salad. All right, right how good? Right What's now. the top end of the best salad ever? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, yeah. it's still right. salad, man. So, but the law says there's a certain amount unless it's fraud. So that was the problem in this case for the prosecution, is to show willful fraud and, and fraud. And what happened was really it got down to science was that her tests didn't work. And everybody knew it inside, and, and, and she knew it, right? And she knew it, and and so that's that's that a, you know, was the linchpin. Now, part of this too, and and this will but come let's up. change the facts just slightly. Let's say the tests worked a little bit, seventy three percent. Now it's a yeah. different case, right? Sixty five percent, fifty five percent. You're exaggerating you're exa as opposed to you're making things up. Mere uh, puffery. That's the puffery. You're promoting a, yeah, a reasonable product, but not as quite as good as you think it is. The best ever, a superstar, blah blah blah. Okay, you can walk on that. Right. Um, and so, you know, the other issue that's going to come up when it comes to sentencing here are some of the claims that 
uh, Elizabeth Holmes made that she was a victim of abuse and and in two specific aspects. She claimed she was abused as a young woman at Stanford and that this is why she left Stanford, that she was sexually abused there and was not welcome in the environment uh, at Stanford and that she left. And then she sort of had this mentor in business who became her business partner who, who she claims had this Svengali-like control over her and hold on her and that he's really the one who is responsible for some of the things she said, some of the things she put out there. And, and, and she, she, he made her do it. it, it kind of. Or, or that's what she's insinuating this sort right. of control over her because right. of their, the nature of their abusive relationship. And, and you know, look, there's a separate trial coming up. Um, and forgive me, Ray, maybe you got the name, but I forget the I man's don't. name. Partner. Um, it's her partner. I'll, yeah, I can look <laughs> it up. So, so, you know, so those issues, though, if, if she medically, you know, is going to say that she's entitled to some sort of compassion because she's an abuse victim, sure. both in her past life and and in her business life, that could influence a judge on how severely they're going to impose um, a sentence on someone I like would that. suggest that they will not sentence her until after this next trial. Uh, to see, and if I'm the judges and, and sentencing judge, I'd like to see if any of those allegations, uh, I mean, I would take her allegation or her, uh, her, her version of facts that she was sexually assaulted in, in college. I would not even question that if, if that's what her story is, because I don't think that it's particularly relevant. But if she was under the Swingali spell, the Rasputin of her business partner, who I do believe both of them have admitted to having a physical relationship with. But I would want to hear what a jury thinks about that before I sentence her, because the jury may and the trial may dig down to more evidence that's more relevant about that issue. But nonetheless, uh, you know, she's the one that met with all these high end investigate investors. She's the one that that was on the media every day pumping this stock up. Yeah. The the other uh, the partner in the business was um, the chief operating officer, Ramesh Sunny Balwani. And so Balwani faces charges on this as well. Um, so, you know, whether that's a factor or not and, and, you know, whether Balwani is the real target, I don't think he is. Holmes is, was so out there that she's the big fish and all this, but Balwani wasn't going to cooperate and didn't give anything that's going to bode poorly for him. Well, I'd venture to say actually that this verdict may be in his favor. First of all, one thing his lawyers know is that on these counts of, if they couldn't convict her of all of those counts, then they're not going to convict him. All right. So now who is the one that met with Kissinger and who is the one that met with Ellison and who spun these these tales and lies? Well, it was her. And they've got a you know, they've got that empty chair that they can point to in closing argument. that says she's been found guilty. of this. Great point. You know, something that's interesting about this. Ray and I, we, we run into this so frequently when people we know have been called in for jury duty mm-hmm. and, and they want to know, what can I do to get out of this? Right. And it's like, you can't right. get out of it. There's no getting out of it and you shouldn't get out of it. Right, go, right. go down there and do it. And, and, and what we've both found over the years is that the people who do show up for jury service, almost 99% of them, I would say, really take it seriously. Yes. And, and, and when they get picked, as much as they don't want to be there, they, they do a very diligent job. When you see this jury spending 50 hours deliberating over a case like this, that, that shows you they struggled, they considered the evidence, they really worked hard to reach a verdict here. I, I did see, though, where one of the jurors was dismissed during the course of the trial. Playing uh, Scrabble. Or or playing or Sudoku, which, which I, I think to myself, because I'm, I'm addicted to Sudokus. It's like, yeah. that would probably be me uh, you know, during some of the slower times. I've already made up my mind. So, so I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, Bruce, and every trial lawyer has, 
when the judge, after you finished the voir dire, and now we've stricken our juries, and the judges, uh, the following jurors report to the jury box, number two, number seven, number 12, number nine, or by name, yeah, it depends yeah. on the judge, and you can see the facial expressions. The and shoulders they, slump. They sink right? like, they're, <laughs> like they're a deer that took an arrow right over the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now, but... But you can watch, and of course, we've got a lot to do when you're trying a case. Your client's case is the most, your biggest concern. But you start to see them taking notes. You start to see them come out of the shell a little come, bit. Yep, and then and then they start to bundle up as pals, like who's sitting next to who, even though there's no, you generally no assigned seating, and you start to see him really focusing. Uh, and then at the end of the trial, if you can bear it. It's easier when you win to talk to the jurors than when you yeah. lose. <laughs> um, I can only it's a imagine. gut punch, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I agree with Ruth, 90, 85 to 90% will say, you know what? That was really, I'm glad I did it. It was Engaging. a better experience than I was going to be. I like them when I say, you were fantastic. But, you know, you did a great job. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't so generally, it's like, you know, I spent three days with that witness. What'd you think? Huh? Well, no, that we, we don't had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Ray, Ray and I love it when jurors ask us for our business card after the trial. Oh, yeah. That's right. And, and it happens. I want that guy on my side. But, you know, during the trial, we, we can have no contact whatsoever with any of the jurors. And so for, for us, it is very instructive to hear what jurors have to say and to find out what went on in the deliberation room. Um, for, for some jurors, they just want to get the heck out of there, which I sure. completely understand. But for others, they want to talk and they have questions too, and they want to hear more about it. And I've know? been in situations where the judges like to hear too. The judges will say, "If you'd like me to hear, they'll listen." And we do it in the courtroom, and we sort of debrief them. And they say, "Well, why did you put, you know, witness number B on or number three or whatever?" And, yeah. and some of the judges are like, "Yeah, I was wondering that yeah, myself. Yeah, what were you thinking, Judy J? <laughs> Final question: Do you learn more from the from the jurors that? In cases that don't go your way, or or no? Oh, you lo- you learn by losing. So that's what I when thought. When you win, I'm out of there too. I got yeah. I got to get to the palm by five thirty. <laughs> I mean, I got places to got things to do, well, money to spend. And, but, right. when, when I when I, when I win, you know, I'm patting myself on the back, yeah, thinking I'm I was such great. a genius. I'm a brilliant lawyer, right? <laughs> and you lose, it's like man, did my client stunk here because I'm the same brilliant lawyer. It had to be them. Yeah. But but you do learn from learn the from losses, losing. you know. And yeah. so you certainly want to hear that and and get that feedback. I know one lawyer who, who tried a lot of cases on the defense side and he told me he said i've stopped talking to jurors yeah, after trials because inevitably the things that they focus on were things that had no bearing on the trial right. so many times he's like that i just can't rely on the feedback i get from them so i've just stopped caring that's interesting i've really? never felt that way yeah. but but i you know i understand where he's coming wow. from wow how about that this is your day in court on extra 106.3 with renowned lawyers bruce hagan and ray judice when we return can you Buy yourself your freedom if you're rich or if you're poor. Do the outcomes come out differently based on what's in your bank account? We'll answer that question next on Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. 
I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. My name is Tug Cowart. Can you buy your freedom? A lot of people ask this question. Are outcomes in court based on bank accounts? Rich people get off, poor people don't. I agree with you that that is certainly the perception. And, and to some extent, it does make a big difference. If you can afford a very good lawyer, you're going to get concierge defense and concierge service uh, to your case that somebody who can't afford to do it doesn't have the time or ability necessarily to do that. But does that dictate the result? Clearly, the impression has always been that, yeah, if you've got the money, the justice system's going to work differently for you than it is for somebody who doesn't have the money. But as we've seen in some very high profile cases lately, Elizabeth Holmes that we just talked about being one of them, she had all the money in the world, even still after SEC fines and such to put together a a modern day dream team that didn't get her acquitted. Back in 92, the original legal dream team in the OJ Simpson trial, they did outwork the prosecution, do everything they could do. And they did get a result that seemingly was- Would fit the narrative. Would fit that narrative, right? right? So, but we've seen it here. We've seen it with Jussie Smollett, who had uh, money and the ability to put together- uh, And and the people in media and people that spoke on his behalf, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm just saying, he had so much support outside the courtroom too, and it didn't matter. Well, you know, one of the things is, and, and I was a baby lawyer, an older lawyer said, son, doesn't matter how hard you work, doesn't matter how many resources you have, they may come from the same critter, but you can't turn chicken poop into chicken salad. And sometimes you just have a bad case that no matter how good your lawyering and your resources are, you can't turn it around. Now, you might soften the blow. Uh, instead of murder, you get manslaughter. Instead of DUI, you get reckless, you know. So that that's what good lawyering can do. Secondly, sometimes really good lawyers and experienced lawyers and high-priced lawyers have the guts to look their client in the eye and say, I got you a deal. It's 20 to serve 10. I'm really good at this, but I still think there's a reasonable chance we're not going to win. And now you get 20 to serve. Sometimes for young lawyers or underfinanced lawyers or under-resourced lawyers, that's really hard to do. You know, you go back to the uh, Trayvon Martin trial way back with uh, Zimmerman was Mm -hmm. uh, the accused. And he had a lawyer by the name of Mark O'Meara. And I looked him up and I, I had some involvement in that just from doing a Nancy Grace show covering that trial. He was a fantastic lawyer and probably pulled a miracle out of the hat in that case. Remember now, that's the days before videotape. There were no security cameras that caught this on film. There were no TikTok videos. There were nothing. And I think we talked about this in one of our prior shows about how how trials are now unfolding with the use of technology. But one of the things uh, Mark said on air, which I think he might have regretted because he's a class act, he said, you know, the prosecution thought they were messing around with 
the public defender, meaning he had resources. If you go to the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse case, there was a huge GoFundMe account where folks from all over the country sent hundreds of thousands of dollars to fund really good legal counsel that was able to do mock trials and really be prepared. And they just flat out lawyered the prosecution. And then there's also that element. There's some really good prosecutors out there. And, and good and, opposing and really insurance good defense lawyers. And good public defenders, defenders. Too. And, Sometimes you, know, you just get beat. Sometimes you get beat. <laughs> and, and to some extent, though, it does come down to that, you know, the folks who, who are great public defenders or great prosecutors, they work in an office where they've got hundreds and hundreds of other cases that have to be attended to. If you have enough money, you can pay somebody to say, look, I need your full attention on this, and I need the full attention of your entire office for this period of time, however long it's going to take to resolve this, and you get that person's full attention. And so to that extent, money can buy you all the preparation in the world, the most skillful orators in the world. It can buy you all of those things that the city, state, county, feds don't really have the luxury of devoting those same resources to this case. It happens sometimes. I mean, obviously, this was uh, Elizabeth Holmes was a four-month trial. Sure. So it happens. You know, if it's a four-month trial, the amount of preparation to go into four months of trying a case is enormous. But if you're going to take away everything else out of your practice and out of your life for those four months, it needs to be a significant sum of money to make that happen in Elizabeth Holmes. But what we're saying is the result of a jury trial. But let me just point out that hiring really good counsel and making them properly resourced may save you from ever going to jury trial. You know, if I've got a client with the resources and they say not guilty, I'll say, okay, I need $1,500 right now. I've got the best former FBI agent polygrapher polygraph right now. We're going to do a polygraph. We're going to get all the video in the neighborhood. We're going to do a search and a download on the cell phones. I've got my technology guy. We're going to put this case together. And if it's really solid, I might show it to the prosecutor and we might get a dismissal and a non-trial. Exactly. And one thing that's great about both my practice and raise practice and the point we are at now in our careers. If you had come to us, let's say, 20 years ago, <laughs> and we were really establishing ourselves and establishing our reputations as lawyers who would try any case that came through, we were just running around so busy going from one court to the next. This is how we met, because we would run into yeah, each other right, in all these courtrooms. Constantly. But going from one courthouse to the next and one courtroom to another and trying a case on Monday, finishing on Wednesday, and then getting called in for a two-day trial on Thursday, and, and just being so busy trying these cases, right? Now we're at a point in our career where both of us are able to, number one, either turn away cases that don't quite get to the threshold of of where it should involve an attorney of our experience, or in my case, you know, my son works in my office, so I've got a younger lawyer who can handle certain aspects of the practice. Ray knows plenty of younger lawyers who can handle certain things, but it allows us to put the time that we need into the cases that we have. So whereas before I might have had 300 active files that I'm working on, now I might have 15 or 20 Mm -hmm. that I'm actively working on. So you so, have more and, time. So, and so when something heats up, I really have the time and the resources to put into it to do the focus groups, to prepare the mock trials, to make sure we've got our demonstrative evidence put together and interview every witness under the sun and do everything that needs to happen to get the best result and possible. And the good news is the other side, in his case, Insurance Defense Counsel, in my case, prosecutors, they're not afraid of us, but they respect but they us. they respect us, which is And key. they know while they're working hard in their office, we're working hard in our office and good lawyers on the other side will say the same thing that I just said. You know, son, it doesn't make a difference <laughs> that they come from the same critter. You can't turn around a bad case most of the time. Right. And good trial lawyers and there's good insurance defense lawyers, and when they write a check, that means they knew that you were ready to go. And when a prosecution gives me a good outcome, they knew that I was ready to throw it down. 
If you need that legal help from renowned lawyers like Bruce Hagen and Ray Judice, Bruce, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, it's easy. Hagen-law.com is the website. You can email me, Bruce, at Hagen-law.com. One thing I do want to put out there, too, is that any listener, you know, we cover a lot of topics, and if you have questions that you'd like yeah. us to take up on, on the air, either email me or Ray, or even just put something out on Twitter, at Peeps Lawyer, or Tug, or to Ray. Contact us on Twitter with a topic, we're happy to discuss it on the air. I think that'd be um, great. Yeah. And then also, you can call me 404-522-7553. Call anytime. Yeah, 404-964-4185. That is my cell number right here in Roswell. Uh, they're going to tear out that road down by the down by the bridge next year, so I'll have to get some new office space, but I'm going to stick up up in North Fulton. You know, we're going to do a topic probably in our next show about how important it is to know the judge. So with Bruce's 30-something years and my 30-something years, we're going to talk about almost 70 years of telling you how important it is to know the judge. Bill Building relationships, that is what it's all about. And it doesn't matter if you're becoming a young lawyer or whatever your field of work is, developing those relationships so very important. This is your day in court on Extra 106.3. Have a great weekend. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.